Our speaker this morning is Lori Natterville. Lori has been at Otter Creek for 37 years, so, um, and is the church administrative director. Um, meaning, if you want to check, you got to go through Lori. So, uh, and, a, and a myriad of other things that she's responsible for. So, um, and so this morning she is going to come and tell her story. Lori, it's all yours. Well, I asked Paulette this morning, "What am I supposed to do?" And she said, "Whatever you want to." So, you are the <coughs> recipients of whatever I want it to be, um, Paulette. You are an amazing person. When Paulette Fuel is your friend, Paulette Fuel is your friend. And you are amazing, and you have loved her well for so many years. You know, it's, I it hardly knew what Paulette without Irene was, or Irene without Paulette was, so our hearts are with you, because I know, I know she's been gone a while, but um, you have been an amazing friend to her. So we love you. And we are very grateful for you. Um, what a beautiful group of people this is. It's a little intimidating to be in front of all of y'all. So we'll just take this and see where we go. Um, this is the pictures I'm going to use has probably not much to do with what I'm going to talk about. But my sweet little Annie Grace did this for me for something else I had to do. So um, I thought, well, we'll just... Put the pictures up there and see how it goes. Something went wrong. Reload. Anyway, um, there we go. Laurie's life, mostly by Annie Grace. <laughs> Which, if you know my Annie Grace, you know that's probably a really, really true statement. Okay, so I was born way back when the Dark Ages. I'm almost 65 years old. If you lived at my house, and you saw my mailbox, you would know I'm almost 65 because you're just inundated with Medicare brochures. It's like every day there's like this stack this high of people wanting to make sure that I know everything there is to know about Medicare. So um, there is no doubt that I am turning 65 years old. And you know, when you're in your 30s and you think about a 65-year-old, you think, well, they're half dead. They're older than dirt. But now 65 is middle age. I think 70 is middle age. I think 80 is just at the end of middle age. So we're all middle-aged people around here. So um, I was, um, I have this scripture, y'all, that I heard many, many years ago. And it's kind of, um, it's kind of my mantra. It's kind of my what I go to. Um, this is a story in Samuel. It's in 1 Samuel 7:12, where the Israelites had just once again defeated the Philistines, and Samuel picked up a, um, a stone and set it between them, Mizpah and Shane, which is two locations, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Um, I can look back on my life, and I can see Ebenezer's in my life where I know that God was there whether I knew it or not. Um, these are my parents. Um, I love that Jim and Karen Bradfield are here. They were um, extremely special people to my parents. Um, I guess you would call them maybe your mentors. I don't know what it was, but um, Karen and I worked together um, at Opryland many years ago, and they were friends with my family, and um, they were wonderful parents. I had a wonderful childhood. Uh, I am baby Laurie. Uh, these are kind of fun because Annie Grace put them together, and I don't really even know what they were. But um, I was the youngest of three kids. My um, oldest brother, or my only brother, 
was three years old when I was born, so we were pretty much stair, stair, stair stepchildren. Um, my brother um, is brilliant. I love him dearly. He is a huge person in my life. Um, my sister, uh, I am terrified of. She is not a huge person. I, I truly am. She is bipolar, um, maybe even borderline schizophrenic, um, lots of mental issues there. And uh, very much estranged, only when she needs something, I get an email from her. But, um, but we were stair-step children, all of us at the same time. Um, these were important people in my life, and I'm just going through these pictures only because um, they were in the slideshow. Um, this is the house I grew up in. It was in Bellevue. The reason I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a native Nashvilleian, which is kind of a rare thing around here these days. Uh, born and raised, except I was born in a little town in West Tennessee called Waverly. My parents lived in Nashville, but went to Waverly to have their children. Not quite sure why, other than the fact the doctor that delivered us also delivered her. So, of course, small town girl, you, um, you had to have your doctor deliver you. So, lived in Nashville was born in Waverly. Um, my dad um, and mom, we lived in, in Bellevue is where I grew up, but it was absolutely the boonies back then because the closest grocery store was Bell Mead. We lived there because it was close to the interstate and we could get on the interstate and be to my grandparents' house within, you know, 45 minutes. So um, my dad worked for the telephone company. There's John. Uh, my mother was a, a school teacher, but she wasn't a school teacher my whole life. She was um, um, a school secretary until I was in sixth grade. Um, this is the first Ebenezer in my life. This is my fourth grade, pick, my fourth grade um, class. I went to school at Harper Valley, which is a, a metro school. I did not know this, but the summer before my fourth grade year, my mother got a phone call. And she said, we want you to know that we are going to have a black teacher this year, and we want to know if it's okay to put Laurie in this class. And my mother said, well, is she a good teacher? And they said, she's an excellent teacher. And she goes, well, I could care less. So um, this was kind of the middle of the, the beginning of the, the desegregation of schools. And so this particular teacher, there I am, that little short, it was always easy to line up for class because when they say line up by height, I was always the first one. Except this girl's name's Donna over here, and she was shorter than me, which I, she was my friend because she was shorter than me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, my fourth grade teacher was also my fifth grade teacher, and she was also my sixth grade teacher, and so she was a huge... That's for the, if you're coming to the luncheon thing. Um, so she was a huge influence in my life, but the fact that, that um, she was the first black teacher in our school was something that never crossed my mind until till later in life. Um, when I, my mother, when I was in sixth grade, my mother um, quit her job as a school secretary and went back to school at Lipscomb to finish up her education degree. My mother's dream was to always be um, a school teacher. Her mother was a school teacher. Her sister was a school teacher. But she always wanted to teach in the inner city. So she went back to Lipscomb my sixth grade year and um, got her degree and then um, got a job teaching at Lipscomb. Um, which was David Lipscomb at the time, and proceeded to tell my siblings and I that we were going to be going to Lipscomb. Um, I'm a 13-year-old girl. I've lived in the same place my whole life. I have had the same friends my whole life. I never had to make a new friend because I just had always been there. Um, I was devastated. I was angry, I was mad, I was, how dare they? They don't know, they don't listen, they don't understand. 
um, that this is the first Ebenezer in my life. This is the first stone where I knew God was there before me. Um, I went to Lipscomb. It absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. Um, I cannot imagine what my life would be like if that was a decision. I made my parents' life miserable. Um, the only person I knew there was a weird kid. He was our preacher's son. I grew up at Bellevue Church of Christ. He was weird. He never talked to anybody. He was the only person I knew in this school, and that was not going to be helpful because, you know, he never even talked to me. But, um, but I begged my parents to not do this to me. My brother and sister were okay about it. I was not. But they knew best. Um, at this time, this was in the early 70s, and um, the metro schools were being sued because of the desegregation, because they did not feel like the schools had equal balance of people. And so busing was a big, you know, term during that time. It was a big scare tactic. You know, they were telling families they were going to be bused from one end of town to the other end of town, uh, which come to find out later in years, that's the reason my mother took the job at Lipscomb was because she could afford to. Um, she was the last group that was hired that you got a 75% discount on tuition if you went to Lipscomb, so we did. So anyway, so eighth grade starts, and here I am going to this new school, and um, those of you that know me may know that I'm a pretty stubborn. I don't like to admit I'm wrong. I think I'm much better at this. Betsy, am I better at this the much, older I get? Much, I think much. I am too, but especially 13-year-old, oh, stop it, John. 13-year-old me was so stubborn and did not want to admit that I was wrong. But I went to Lipscomb. I loved it during the day, but I had to come home at night, and because I didn't want to admit I was wrong, I had to pretend that I really hated it and pretty much made my parents' life miserable to the point that they were almost ready to take me out, and I was like, mm, okay, baby, I need to stop this farce, and so... Um, I didn't. My mother said when she was hired there, something that um, I think to this day, you know, if you know the Enneagram, I don't know if y'all are Enneagram people or not, but they think they say things that happen in your childhood are what affects you, what makes you who you are later on. Um, when my mother was hired, it was also during the years where um, Lipscomb was very strict about their faculty, and if you did or said things that kind of not the party line, it was not good for you, you probably would not be teaching there. And so my mother said to us, please, don't do anything to ever get me fired. And so as a 13-year-old child, I'm thinking, oh, the weight of the family is on me if I don't, you know, make good choices and don't do the right thing. My, family, my mother's going to lose her job, I'm going to lose my school, we're not going to be able to eat. Of course, my dad worked, but in my 13-year-old brain, um, I felt a lot of a weight of that pressure. I felt the weight of um, got to do the right thing, got to be good, can't do anything to get your mother fired. Um, when I was 14 years old, my father, at 42 years old, had a massive heart attack. Um, this is my Ebenezer number two in my life. Um, he um, had, consequently, when I was 14 years old, he had open-heart surgery, which open-heart surgery today and, you know, 40 years ago was not the same. They put him in the hospital a week before the surgery. Um, he was in the hospital for 50 days, and this was without complications. They did the surgery twice a week, and the surgeon would sit by his bed um, the night after the surgery. It just, it was a huge deal, and we didn't know anybody who had had open-heart surgery. Um, before my dad went into the hospital, he sat me down and he said, you know, he said, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to die. He said, but I just need to know, 
do you love Jesus? Do you, you know, are, do you, do you want to follow him? Um, and so I was baptized the week before he went into surgery, probably out of fear, probably out of people pleasing and wanting to please my dad. I, I knew who Jesus was, but just taking that step um, was a huge thing. But isn't God gracious? He redeemed that 14-year-old's brain thinking, this is, I just don't want my dad to die and him being worried about me. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. But my dad went on. He um, um, did great during the surgery. He probably lived another, I don't know, 16 years or something like that. But his health was up and down. And my mother, oh, my mother was the most wonderful woman in the world. She was fiercely protective of my father. She felt like, truly believed that if he did not know how sick he was, that his mental capacity would take over his physical body. So she was fiercely protective of information going to him about how bad his heart was. And to us as a family, it was, please, don't, don't do anything to stress your father out. So here I am. Don't do anything to get me fired. Don't do anything to stress out your family. Don't do any, you know, it's like this is all, it, 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 it just was a lot. It was a lot. Um, but growing up, I was, I was a good girl. I made great choices. I, because, like I said, it wasn't out of, you know, because I wanted to be this wonderful person. It was pretty much out of, out of fear. Um, so I think that's kind of has impacted who I am today. I am, I avoid confrontation like the plague, um, unless you really push me, and then I will, I, mama bear comes out really, really fast. But I, um, um, I'm a people pleaser. I, I want to do, I want to help. I want to, um, to do whatever you need me to do. And I really feel like that it came from um, growing up, the, just, just the way I did. Uh, that's my sweet dad. Um, this is my oldest child. Uh, we, um, well, this is kind of out of order, but whatever. So I went to Lipscomb, had a great high school career. Um, when I was a senior in high school, I had dated this other guy all through high school, and then we broke up before my senior year. And I had this really great friend in high school, um, really probably one of my best friends. And um, somebody dared him to ask me out. So he said, you know, I'm up for a dare. So he asked me out and um, ended up being, um, here's, there he is, there he is. Um, my high school sweetheart ended up being my husband of many 40-something years. I don't even know how long we've been married now. Um, we went to high school together. We went to college together. We got married after his first year of medical school. He was in Memphis for a year. Mainly because he had grown up, he went to Otter Creek to kindergarten. He went to Lipscomb from first grade through four years of college. Um, his dad taught there. Um, he was ensconced in Lipscomb and had never set foot out of, of the boundaries of Lipscomb. So I was like, dude, you got to go be on your own for a while. So he went to med school his first year, and then we got married the, the, the following summer of that. Um, I feel like he's also an Ebenezer in my life. I cannot imagine what my life would have been if I hadn't gone to Lipscomb, if I hadn't have married him. Um, it's just, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Um, I, when I went to school, I graduated with an education degree. I was going to be a school teacher, again, like my mother and my grandmother and my aunt and all my family. I, during that year, I taught at um, Christ the King up here 
on Belmont for six months. Um, and it took me exactly mm, probably two weeks to realize this is not my gift. <laughs> this is not my thing. I taught middle schoolers math and science. I often felt sorry for them going into high school uh, because poof, it was a it was a fun year. We had a great time. We I chaperoned a 50 stance at this school, and this little girl comes up to her dad and says, "This is my teacher." And he laughed and turned around and walked off. And he came back a few minutes later and he goes, "She's kidding. You're not really her teacher." And I was like, "Nope, I am really her teacher. I know I look 12 years old, but but anyway." <laughs> So I was going to teach in Memphis. I quit my job the week before, mainly because I was making $8,500 a year. And we got our, you know, our apartment and our bills, and we could not afford to live because obviously he wasn't making any money because he was in school. So I worked at a place called Mud Island. I don't know if you've ever been to Memphis in Mud Island. I um, helped open this park up. It had just been open just a few weeks when I started working there. Um, it was a fun job. I worked in the marketing department. I did their special events. Um, being that it was a government entity, over the course of the next year or so, the big wheels were leaving, and I was pretty quickly learning that I was going to be running a marketing department, and remember, I was an education major, so that was, that was a little stressful, too. So I left there and went to work at Easter Seals. I was the West Tennessee uh, coordinator for telethons. Remember the days of telethons? Mm -hmm. So I'd go to all these little towns in West Tennessee and help them run there. Um, their Easter Seals telethons, which was quite fun to get to travel all through, um, you know, West Tennessee at the time. I then left um, Easter Seals and worked for, this is hilarious, um, it was a new water park that was being built in Memphis. I don't know why anybody thought a water park in Memphis was a good idea because um, um, there's just not a lot of swimmers in Memphis, and so... Um, that lasted about a year, and then... Um, then we um, had my baby, had our baby, and um, my thing, I guess my claim to fame in Memphis was that we started, Memphis in May is a big festival that's been done in Memphis, a big barbecue festival, been around for 100 years, and um, they decided they wanted to do a children's festival, so I was, they asked me to head this up and chair this festival, and so for two years I got to um, start a new festival as part of Memphis in May, which was the Children's Festival, which was really, really, really fun. All right, um, that's, I worked at Opryland, which is where I met Karen. Um, she may even be in this picture at my wedding. I bet you are somewhere in there. Opryland was a huge part of my life growing up. We had the best time working there. That's my Lipscomb years. That's my wedding. Okay, so here we are. Um, pregnant. This was our birth announcement. Boy, birth announcements have come a long way, haven't they? <laughs> David drew that, and that was my, our parents' Christmas presents. What can I say? Oh, by the way, you know the weird kid I told you about that was my preacher's son? He was also in my wedding. Turns out he was David's best friend, and I just thought he was a weird guy. He's still a weird guy. Anyway, four years later, we're moving. We David uh, finishes up med school. He does his internship in Memphis, and he gets his residency at Vanderbilt in Nashville. So we're coming home, and we were so excited. Um, the baby was born on a Saturday. We were moving that weekend. He packs the furniture up on Sunday. He moves it on, uh, or moves the furniture on Sunday. On Monday, we get a phone call that our house had burned down. Evidently, the boxes that they were, you know, you know frantically just trying to get unloaded, got pushed up against the stove, which turned the button on, and took till Monday for, um, for it to ignite, and it burned, up, burned everything up inside the house. There's an Ebenezer. You know what? God has given me 
this beautiful baby girl. She's perfectly, she is nine pounds and four ounces and perfect. And there was nothing in that house I cared about. Um, it was stuff. I had this baby and it was all that mattered. Um, I got to live with my mother for three months while they rebuilt the house, which was a huge deal because y'all, <coughs> I had never held a baby except for Allison Bradfield. She was the first baby I'd ever held. And so to be able to live with my mom and have this baby and David's, you know, we're back in Nashville. The house was just stuff. It, it did not matter at all. Um, there's a picture of her. Um, that's Lindsay now today on the far right. Lindsay lives in New York. She is a lawyer. She is a um, criminal court, she's an assistant district attorney, but she supervises um, a criminal, a criminal court in Staten Island. So she um, supervises the lawyers that are, are doing the cases in the criminal court. Um, she just left domestic violence. It was, it's a hard job, but she feels very much um, that she's helping society by doing that. <coughs> so anyway, that is Lindsay. This is my second son. This is Will. Um, Will is a, um, a CRNA, which is a nurse anesthetist. He went back, got his nursing degree. Um, he is married <coughs> to Shaler and has our little Caroline, my grandbaby, and another one on the way, which I will show you that later. Um, this is Annie Grace. Um, Annie Grace is another Ebenezer in my life. Not that my other two kids are not. But Annie Grace came along when I was later. I was 38 years old, almost 39, when she was born. And boy, God knew that I needed her in my life. Um, the first two kids, we said, oh, let's have a baby. We were pregnant, had babies and whatever. This one took a lot longer. We um, had several miscarriages before she came along. And I really believe it was God saying, are you sure? Because I know what you're going to get. So I want you to really appreciate this one. Um, she is uniquely her. She has challenged every ounce of what I knew to be true. She um, um, is accepting of everyone and everything, and she just didn't get a lot of the the way I was raised. Not just the times that you know she um, is accepting of people. She challenges me. The women's issue was a huge issue to her. She. And when she was asking the questions that I couldn't answer, you know, why aren't women doing this or why? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know, Annie Grace, I don't know, I don't know. But, um, but, but she has changed my thinking. She has changed the way I look at people and I look at the world. Um, I heard a quote once from Billy Graham that I want to use as my mantra in life, and, and it's because of her. Billy Graham said, God's um, job is to judge, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict, and my job is to love. And so that's the way I want to live my life. I don't have answers to anything. I don't. I've got more questions than anything. But I know what my job is, and my job is to love, and my job is to love everybody. And if I get to heaven and I have to answer for the people that I love, then that's God's job, and I'm not going to worry about that. But I attribute that, that my, out, my changed outlook on life and on people um, to Annie Grace because she, um, she has changed me. Okay, Otter Creek. Here's how I came to Otter Creek. Um, I had a month-old baby. Remember, we were back in town. My husband grew up at Harpeth Hills. I grew up in Bellevue. We knew we didn't want to go to Bellevue. I really wanted to go to Harpeth Hills because that's where my family, or David's family was. And um, he really did not want to go there because he grew up there. And they knew him as a, you know, a 13-year-old boy and whatever. 
Um, and so we decided to come to Otter Creek one Sunday, so we didn't really know who we knew here. So we walked in the door, and as we were leaving that first Sunday, this person comes running across the parking lot and goes, oh, Laurie Dodson Netterville, you are here. We are so excited that you are here. Oh, and you have a baby. Oh, my goodness, you have a baby. We're starting a Mother's Day Out program, and you just have to come. We need you. We need your baby. It's meeting at 2 o'clock today. You've got to come. Any idea who I'm talking about? Dale Wilcher. Dale Wilcher. Here's the deal about Dale, y'all. I she was a senior in college when I was a freshman. I only knew her because my boyfriend was in college, the one I dated in high school. He was older than me, and I knew that she knew and I knew who she was, and I knew there were two of them, and I didn't know which one was which or what name was what. But I didn't really know her, and I was like, oh, she knows my name. But here's what's the buzzword she said. We need you. You have a baby. We need you. So I'm like, they need me. i got to show up at 2 o'clock. I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but I have to show up. And so I did. I showed up at 2 o'clock for a Mother's Day Out meeting and um, Ebenezer. My life would not be the same if it weren't for Del Wilcher greeting me in the parking lot, as only Del can do. Um, and she needed me, and you know, as a two, I, I needed to be needed. So I showed up. The, all those early days were, um, were life-changing. Here's how Otter Creek was different then. Not only the size, but we didn't have a young adults class, and we didn't have a young singles class, and we didn't have college classes. We just were, we were Otter Creek. And ladies' Bible class, Sandy, was one of my Ebenezer's. To be able to sit with people like Sandy Collins and Marge Keaty and Ruth Rucker. Just, just those stellar, stellar people, the Eva Crothers, the Gail Shrigleys, who weren't, they were my friends, y'all. I am this 20-something-year-old, I don't know anything about anything, and these stellar of women are my friends. And they were life-changing. The ladies' Bible class at that time, you know, was everything, was everything to us. We and our group of friends were, if something needed, you know, we wanted, they started a Mother's Day out. You can't do that nowadays because you've got, well, the world has changed or whatever. But whatever we wanted to do, we just did, you know. We just, we showed up, we worked together, we had children's worship, and, and we were in charge of children's worship, and we were in charge of the nursery. And y'all, we cleaned the nursery once a year, whether it needed or not. We have a day, we all go wash those toys once a year, you know. But the Renell Galls of the world, the, the um, Nancy Jennings, who, you know, wouldn't let you bring your child without an undershirt on were, were just, they were stuck. Oh, you could not bring your child without an, without an undershirt on or you would be called out on it. Um, but my friend group, y'all, we didn't really start as a life group or whatever. We, I, I, you know, my husband's in residency. Back in the days where they had no time frames on residency, he's working a million hours a week. I have this baby. I am lonely. I have nothing. So every time the doors were open, boy, I was going to be there because I had a child that didn't sleep. And I knew for that one hour on Wednesday night, somebody would hold my baby. So I showed up for everything. I would leave for church on Sunday nights an hour early and drive and drive and drive and just pray, fall asleep, fall asleep, fall asleep, so I could go into go into church and not have to, to deal with her. But we used to go to Mr. Gaddy's after church on Sunday night. Uh -huh. 
and their big open space. They didn't care about our kids running around like crazy. And so we would do that every, and, and that's how then Otter Creek decided they were going to do this thing called care groups. So we kind of looked around and said, well, we kind of look like a care group. So we're officially a, a care group. So I don't know how long we went from care group to life group, but, um, but that's my people. We've lived a lot of life together, lots of um, family times. This is one of my favorite pictures, the one at the camping, because we decided to go camping one year, and it snowed that night, and we had our kids in camp. And we didn't know you had to collect your own firewood, so our poor little pitiful-looking children would go around to all the campsites going, do you have any firewood? Do you have any firewood? They still, to this day, you know, 30 years later, go that cold, 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 cold camping trip where we woke up the next morning and our kids were like an you know, three inches in snow, and we had no idea. Um, in the late 80s, I went on, a, on my very first mission trip to Belize with Steve Sherman. He was living there at the time, and we went to do a vacation Bible school. I'd never gone on a mission trip before. I don't even know why I went on this one. But um, a guy named Marty Dotson was on the trip with me, and he, at the time, was our youth minister. And we spent a ton of time together, because mainly because I'm directionally challenged and I'm walking the streets of Belize and I would get lost and he would pull me back saying, no, go, go this way. And so he said, you know what, I think I want to, I want to do a camp. And he said, why don't you come and, and come look at it, come see what we're going to do. So I did. I showed up at camp and I was like, oh, show me where your crafts are. And he goes, oh, they're in that building. So I went over there in that building and there was a thing of potholders on a picnic table. And I was like, oh, what are they doing? He goes, well, they're making potholders. I'm like, what else do they do? And he goes, they made potholders. I was like, well, is that all you have? And he goes, yeah, we have potholders. So I was like, oh, I think we could probably do better than that. So I came home and I told Dave, but I said, you know, this camp was, it, it's, it's a little pitiful. There's just, you know, there didn't seem to be a lot going on. My husband grew up um, at Harpeth Hills. Camp was a big deal there. And Camp Weeby, he was a Camp Weeby, which was a West End camp, which if you know anything about Nashville and churches and camps, that was a huge deal. So he grew up going to Weeby, and he said, you know what? He said, I'll go with you. He said, maybe we can, I'll do the games, and you can do the crafts, and, and we'll see how this goes. Um, we took our not even two-year-old son with us, thinking, oh, David said, you'll be busy during the day, and I'll be busy at night, and we'll, we can share him. It was a disaster to have a two-year-old. He would say, you got to take him. I'd say, i got to take him. I don't know why I thought my first year as a camp uh, craft person to tie-dye would be a good idea. Um, <laughs> but it was quite, quite the thing. So Marty left, and the next year they hired a kid right out of college to be our youth minister named Jamin Martin. And our elders were probably not going to send a bunch of kids to a camp. And so David and Jamin became directors of um, Otter Creek Christian Camp. And um, we went to all of our care group, our friends, and said, guess what? You're going to camp. And they're like, what? And we're like, yeah, you're old, but you get to be counselors and all that thing. So um, camp became a big, huge deal in our life. It became a, a kind of a big, huge deal in the life of Otter Creek. But... Um, but it was something that we had always dreamed that wouldn't it be great if these kids could go through this camp and then when they go to college, they could come back and be, that we wouldn't have to have, you know, 40-year-olds as, as counselors or whatever. And that was kind of the initial dream of it. And um, that's kind of what the camp is today. Otter Creek Church Camp is a huge deal in this church. Um, and it does go back, I mean, I'm not bragging, I didn't have anything to do with it, I just showed up, but it does go back to David and Jamin and their dreams of, of what this camp could look like. Um, 
I still go to camp, y'all. Isn't that so crazy? Um, my focus over the years shifted from a children's ministry into the youth ministry, and camp had a lot to do about that. Um, I love teens. I have been a covenant group leader for what's well, it? It's like a. It's almost like a prison sentence sometimes. It's my third sentencing to be a covenant group leader. Um, it's when you spend time with, they, they divide the kids by genders and by grades, and you are just in their lives. You um, spend every other week at, week on Sunday nights for two and a half hours with them, and you're just, there, you're just an adult in their life. I tell the girls all the time, I'm not your mother. Now I have to say I'm not your grandmother. Um, <laughs> and you know what? You're not going to shock me, and you're not going to surprise me, and there's nothing you can do that's going to not make me love you. And so that's what we start our basis on. I am just somebody that can be a listening ear to you. I'm somebody that um, loves you. And isn't that a crazy thing, y'all? That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. When I know these girls are mine, before I even know their names, I have this great love for them that is not me. It's, it's, it's the Spirit saying, these are your girls and you're going to love them. So I've now started my third group. I've got a, a bunch of um, 10 freshman girls, which um, I'm sure they look at me and go, ooh, this old lady is in our life. She's crazy. Um, but, but it is fun. I have always, um, oh, I also volunteer in the tech booth, which is y'all. Seriously, do that. It is the most, you want an adrenaline rush? You work in the tech booth on a Sunday morning. It is, it is so nerve-wracking, but it is so much fun. So I know they're needing camera operators. Y'all, I'm five foot tall and I can be a camera operator. You can be a camera operator. So if you want to do a fun job and, um, have an adrenaline rush, go be in, go volunteer in the tech booth. Uh, for many, many years at Otta Creek, I had volunteered uh, on staff. Emma, sweet Emma, I love her so much. Um, she was our first uh, full-time paid employee and just retired a couple of years ago right after COVID. Although she worked all through COVID, she's a trooper. But I used to come on Fridays and help her with the bulletin. Those were the days when she would do the bulletin and cut and paste, and we would run them off, and we would put them on the pews. And for years and years and years, I would come help Emma do that. And then um, once we started getting a staff and they did their staff lunch, I would come and answer the phones um, during their staff time just so because I like volunteering. When we went to our database, we're high-tech church then. We got to have a big database. Um, because of my work with camp, I needed to learn parts of the database. And so I'm like, you know, because I, I helped with the registration on that. And so I did that. And um, Catherine Robertson was the person that brought the fellowship one. They're the one, they hired her to implement it. And once I came on and started learning a little bit about it, she's like, well, I'm leaving. And they were like, okay, well, you're the only one that knows anything about the database. And I'm like, I know nothing. And Mike Renzi had just started working here, and um, I'm a volunteer. I'm a lifelong volunteer. I don't ever want to work. I don't want a job. I just want to volunteer. And because he was new and didn't know me, um, he said, no, it really needs to be a paid position. And I was like, well, that's a problem. Although in the back of my head, David had always been saying, you need four more Social Security credits or whatever. So I'm like, okay, well, if you want to pay me, I guess that's, that's okay. Um, so I took over the, the role of the database and um, had to educate myself. I sent myself to Texas to learn about this big thing that I was now supposedly supposed to be the guru and know how to do. Um, Say that again, you went to Texas. I did go to Texas. Yes. I actually went to <laughs> Dallas, Texas. Yeah. 
Texas. How about how about Plano, Texas? There you're getting you're getting further doubted there. Um, my niece lived in Texas for a while. You Texas people are you're one in a million. Um, so I started in this position of learning a little bit, you know, about the database and kind of, and, and this position just kind of evolved. Y'all, I never asked for a job. I never applied for a job. I'm not really sure how I got to where I am today, but um, our church administrator, Vicki Atnip, is one of the dearest people I've ever known. Um, the funniest person I ever know. Slightly inappropriate if you knew Vicki. Her jokes could be a little inappropriate, uh, which was what made her so much fun. Um, not long after I had started, you know, I'd probably been here part-time for a few years, Vicki um, was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. And so my cubicle was right across from her, and slowly but surely, as her health was declining, I would take over more and more and more of her responsibilities just because I wanted to do everything I could for her to keep her job and to be able to, to come whenever she wanted to come and whenever she felt like it. And... Um, so I would slowly take over her responsibilities. Mm. I miss her every day. Every day. I really miss her jokes. I really miss her voice. I really miss her laugh. But when Vicki passed away, um, I don't think anyone ever asked me if I wanted her job or whatever. I think it just was assumed that since I had been doing it um, over the course of time is that, is that I would... Um, that I would be the logical person to step into a role. So I am the church administrator. Um, that is, if you ever want job security, become a church administrator because it is a job nobody wants to do. <laughs> it is, it is, it is the jack of all trades and master of none type of position. I do a lot of work with, with the database. To do the I'm not the financial person, but I do a lot of work with the financial people. Um, I think my gift to Otter Creek probably is just my longevity because I know things that nobody else knows just because we've been here for so long. Um, part of my job is also to be um, the shepherd's assistant, which I don't even know what that, how that came to be. But um, my passion is that role. My passion is to come alongside our shepherds and to help them be the best shepherds they can be. My job is to I keep the information. I'm the one that, you know, Pat and I have a direct line. When Pat finds something, she lets me know, and I let our shepherds know. She, yeah, it is, it is, it is, it is a gift to be able to, um, to come alongside these people and to um, hopefully help them love you the best that they possibly can. It is my shepherd. It is my, um, that's my passion. That's my calling. Um, that's pretty much it. I have no idea what else the pictures are here. Oh, there's camp pictures. There you go. Just please tell me there's not one of me with my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I, used, I used to nanny, nanny, nanny Grace when they would go out of town. Yep. And I made the mistake. You did. It's all on you, Pat. Of letting her do my hair and makeup. And she's three years old. <laughs> a lot of a lot of white noxzema, I think, was involved. And uh, my hair stood straight up. She took a picture of me, which ended up on my birthday cake. <laughs> and Grace took the picture to school, and her preschool teacher was a very good friend of Pat's, or at least she thought she was a very good friend of yours. And Regina was like, "Can I borrow that picture, Annie Grace?" And she goes, "Sure." So. She went to Kroger's and had the face put on. <laughs> um, 
I forgot to mention that I do. I, I lead a mix, uh, an OCYG mission trip every year. Uh, we take a group of kids to Vicente Guerrero in Mexico, and we work with a special needs school. Um, I have done more. Here's my claim to fame. I've done more mission trips with David Rubio than any other person. <laughs> Can you imagine? Anyway, uh, this is, again, my family. Oh, and let's get to the most important part. There she is. <laughs> Y'all, what time do we, y'all got to get out of here. I never wanted grandkids. I'm one of those people that said, why would you want grandkids? This world is cruddy. Why would we want to bring more people into it? Promise you, till the day this thing was born, and then it was like, oh, I get why we want grandkids, because she is the most perfect thing in my life. We're going to have a new baby girl in April, so we are excited about that. But y'all, this is, she is, oh, she she's, makes me a lolly. Um, this is just a picture of my mother, just because she, I loved her so much. She passed away with dementia um, a couple of years ago, but she was the strongest, um, most incredible woman I ever knew in my life. Um, Annie Grace, my youngest, she just got married, y'all, uh, last month. This is Charles. This is her. She used to call him her betrothed. He was always her betrothed, but... Um, they, um, he graduated from law school at the University of Chicago this summer and passed his D.C. bar. Woo! Thank you very much. We were found out last week. Um, but they are working in D.C. They will be there for about a year. He's working with some big high-power firm. I don't know. But he's going to uh, Columbus, Ohio. You would have thought Annie Grace was sentenced to purgatory when they found that out because there was nothing in... Columbus, Ohio, other than the University of Ohio, which is the biggest university in the country. But anyway, um, he's going to be doing a clerkship there, and so um, then they'll be back in D.C. But um, I think that's it. That's my family. That's it. Y'all, thank you. I know I just worded on and on and on and on and on, but... Um,